Welcome to Behind the Data, the podcast that takes you inside the world of market research and breaks down the topics we love to nerd out on. Today, I'm joined by Alicia Sharkey, who is a research manager in the services and payment space at Euromonitor. In her previous roles at the company, Alicia pioneered research in several Latin American countries, establishing research methodology, best practices for a number of industries in those markets, all kinds of really cool stuff. So it's safe to say she brings a wealth of research experience to this conversation. Alicia, welcome to the show. Hi, Sarah. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for being here. Okay, I hope this doesn't come across as offensive to my research friends, but if we're being honest, being a research analyst is not exactly something we learned about uh, at career day in school growing up. So what does that mean? What does a research analyst do exactly? And how do you research an industry? Fantastic question. (laughs) So overall, what we do is estimate the total market size of a consumer industry the percent share of the leading companies and brands in that industry, and where consumers purchase those products. An example I like to use is refrigerators, which make up part of our consumer appliance research. We estimate how many refrigerators are sold in a specific country like the U.S. or Mexico or Thailand in a given year. So the number of refrigerators, the value of those refrigerators sold, the percent of those refrigerators that are Whirlpool or Samsung, and then where consumers are buying those. So like online, in-store, department store, Best Buy, exactly, kind of stuff? Okay. Exactly. And then we want to understand the trends behind that. So why are they buying them at those specific stores? Because they're hungry. Because they're hungry. Exactly. <laughs> they need to keep their food cold, right? But why are they buying them there? Um, why are they buying the specific sizes of refrigerators that they do? What are the changing trends in terms of the numbers of doors on a, on a refrigerator? So what is a trend you could kind of come to by looking at refrigerator data? It goes hand in hand, right? So it's the trends that are driving those refrigerator sales could have to do with the size of homes. Are people oh. downsizing and therefore getting smaller refrigerators? Um, are they buying purchases in bulk so they need separate freezers, for example. Okay, so then how do you go about doing all of this refrigerator research (laughs) or whatever industry you're looking at? Yeah, and so our approach is more or less the same regardless of which industry we're talking about or which country we're talking about. What we employ is a multi-source approach. Essentially, we're going to collect all the information that's available. So we might be looking at import-export data, um, production statistics, other government statistics such as the economic census, information made available through trade associations, information companies publish themselves. We also conduct interviews with everyone along the supply chain from manufacturers, distributors, um, the retailers themselves. We don't talk directly to consumers so much other than in our day-to-day lives, but we have a survey department that does conduct surveys We've spoken to Lisa, and she has filled us in about how to stay neutral during surveys. So hopefully our listeners are well-versed, and if not, listen to episode two. Yeah, and so that's exactly the sort of information that we'd want to leverage as well. That sounds like a lot of information to kind of aggregate and sift through. It is. How do you... Like, what is the timeline on this? Yeah, and so timelines are, are, are a big challenge, right? Because as researchers... We just love to jump into this stuff and any topic that we research. Hello, I run a podcast about research. (laughs) Yeah, I can relate. (laughs) 
we can easily spend maybe even years on any any data point, right? So the truth is that we do have rather strict timelines for when we're conducting research, and we do the best we can to stick to that. So it's all about setting priorities. Um, it also helps that in syndicated research, we're, we're usually not starting from scratch. Generally speaking, we're starting, we're building off of what we already have. So these are ongoing projects that we redo every year to update our estimates, to forecast for the next five years, et cetera. And you mentioned getting stuck, you know, on a data point, maybe when you're you're going through your research. How do you kind of prioritize? I don't know if that's the right word or distinguish between certain data points. Like, how do you know what to get stuck on, what to ignore? What is that process like? Yeah, that's great. So usually going into projects, we'll certainly have key focus areas. Okay. Either these might be things that are changing rapidly, um, maybe they're new to the system, or areas that we know we can we can do more with. So those we kind of focus on throughout the research cycle, right? Um, these might also come from questions we've received from from clients. They might say, we see this differently, and so we'll definitely want to give that a little extra attention. What's great is that we are researching the same projects in all countries at the same time. So when we run into problems or we get stuck, we have other people to talk to. We have people who've been researching these same projects for years, who've really developed an expertise in that, and everyone's really happy to brainstorm ideas about how to approach these things. So that makes it a lot of fun. So to be a part of this fun collaborative team that you're talking about, what sort of background do you need? I mean, I don't recall research as, as a major in college. So how does one become a research analyst or a research manager? Interestingly, we're starting to see more market research coursework in universities. Huh. That I guess said, I just aged myself a little bit then. <laughs> well, me too. <laughs> Our analysts come from a variety of backgrounds. Some common majors include economics and political science. However, on my team, we've got people who majored in environmental studies, industrial design, marketing, and international relations. That's all, a lot, like all over the board. All over the board, right? Personally, I have a bachelor's degree in political science and French and a master's in international affairs. And this led me right into a career in international research. Huh. But what we all have in common is a balance of quantitative and qualitative skills and a curiosity about how things work. We all want to know the driving factors behind consumer trends, why they're purchasing what they're purchasing, why they choose one type of store over another, why they pay with a credit card versus cash versus a mobile payment. We want to figure out also how this is all going to change in the coming years. Yeah, my mind gets blown sometimes when I look at some of the forecast information. I feel like you kind of have to be both a detective, an analyst, an anthropologist, and a fortune teller all in a tight timeline? Is this an accurate job description? Is that what you put, you know, when we're posting? <laughs> I think that's true, although it's important to remember that we are not fortune tellers, yes. right? Disclaimer. Um, and, and that's an important thing. Any number of factors can can go into making a forecast. Yeah. So aside from forecasting and maybe wearing multiple hats, what are some of the most challenging parts of being a researcher? Mm -hmm. We talked about time yeah. already, and that certainly and is time. at the top yeah. of the list, right? Um, I think another one of the challenges is also one of the great pleasures is the fact that we work with a lot of challenging markets. Like These, where? 
I mean, it, it, it can vary from projects to project or even what's going on in a country at a specific time. So I'm not going to name names, right? But we often deal with countries with limited sources of information. Mm-hmm. The good thing is that we have analysts on the ground in all the countries where we conduct the research. And we really rely on them for their expertise. They're able to speak the lo- local language. They've developed relations with contacts that are relevant for each of the industries we cover. And working with them is fantastic. It's an incredible resource for us. But there can also be challenges in that, particularly when we're working in countries that have a turbulent political climate sure. that might be going through an economic recession or even in situations where there are natural disasters, right, and there are power cuts. So all of this can can really change how we approach research in that country or even how we approach scheduling a specific project or a day. Is there an example that comes to mind of just like a crazy situation no one could have predicted that really threw something off recently? Well, I mean, this time of year, certainly the hurricanes are a big factor for our Central American Mm -hmm. research where you might have a call scheduled and that might have to be rescheduled because the power is out. Fortunately, everyone I've been working with is okay. So that's ultimately what's most important, right? Costa Rica has been entering a a little bit of an economic situation, which has made it a little bit harder with some strikes going Mm -hmm. on, that sort of thing. It's something the analysts have to plan around. It's also something that's going to impact the forecasts that we make as well, right? So it is important to have someone there on the ground who sees and understands what's going on, but it's also a challenge. What about, let's kind of look at the the positive side of things. Mm -hmm. What are some of the most interesting parts of being a researcher. Absolutely. So personally, having the opportunity to work closely with analysts and clients all over the world is one of the best things I could possibly hope for in a job. I think it's fantastic that I might have a call in the morning with someone in London or headquarters, calls throughout the day with analysts or clients in Latin America or Canada, and maybe end the day with a call to Asia. That is a long day because I know day. my calls with London start a little <laughs> earlier in the morning than I would like. So. Hopefully we're not doing both London in the morning and Asia in the yeah, evening on the same one. day. Right. Absolutely. Um, and even within Chicago, and I'm, I'm, you know this very well, too, we have a very diverse group of coworkers, mm-hmm. people who've lived all over the world, worked all over the world. And I think that makes this a really fantastic place to work. I also think that the topics that we research are very interesting and engaging. I'll give you an example of this. So each year we run a new concepts and retailing contest where analysts submit innovations they've observed in the last year in grocery, non-grocery, non-store, and digital retailing. Last week I had the pleasure, and I will say it was a pleasure, (laughs) of reviewing entries from 70 different countries. Wow. And it's absolutely fascinating to see the retailing, how the retailing landscape is evolving, the similarities between different countries, um, and the differences, right? Yeah, we spoke to um, to Michelle mm-hmm. a few weeks ago all about more so in the digital space, digital yeah. marketplaces, and how that's impacting the world of retailing. But she had some really fascinating insights that she shared. Yeah, that's fantastic. And I think, you know, oftentimes people assume that innovation is really coming from North America or Western Europe or China, but really we're seeing it all over the place and emerging in different ways. So and that's the great the thing. equalizer. Exactly. And it's, that's what's really great to see. Awesome. Um, so you mentioned, you know, 70 different topics, countries around the world. I'll confess, like your role kind of boggles my mind because there is so much to keep straight. I mean, there are a wide variety of industries. Services and payments is kind of this big, broad, overarching term that a lot of things fall under. I mean, there's there's retail and shopping, like you said, digital consumers, automotive, travel. 
how do you jump around and just compartmentalize all this in your brain? Like, let's talk about self-driving cars. And now let's talk about people selling things on Amazon. Talk to me about just your process and how your brain works. Yeah. So it certainly is a large number of industries. And I think the best way to approach it is from the consumer's perspective. So within services and payments, we're looking at where consumers are purchasing their goods, retailing, where they eat, consumer food service, Okay. where they take vacations and what they do there, travel and tourism, how they pay consumer finance and digital consumer, and then how they get around automotive. So think of it more based on actions and behaviors and less about a, a long list like I just gave you. Exactly. Cool. And what's important there, too, is that we don't expect each analyst to become an expert in every single one of those industries or in every single country that we cover. Instead, once analysts have gained a thorough understanding of our methodology, they begin to focus more and more on specializing in specific industries, specific countries, as well as in maybe specific topics that cross a variety of those industries. Okay. Um, is it sort of like college where you get to pick a major or is it kind of assigned to you? Like how do people navigate this whole specialization track? Yeah. And so when, when someone starts, usually they're going to be more of a generalist, right? Mm -hmm. Again, the goal is to really develop a thorough understanding of our methodology. And then over time with specialization, it usually has to do with personal interest, but also opportunity. Mm -hmm. And I think oftentimes what one thinks they're going to end up specializing in actually ends up being different. And again, that's because you really don't know what's going on in these industries, in these countries, until you've spent the time. And they're changing and evolving so quickly that all of a sudden, you know what, packaging and consumer food service turns out to be the most interesting thing, right? <laughs> As we're ordering more French fries, how do we keep them fresh yeah, from the restaurant to our door? You just eat them faster. You just eat That's them faster. <laughs> Does everyone sign up to like work in Fiji or something like that? I feel like that's what I would want to do. French fries in like French Polynesia. That's, can I make that request? Unfortunately, no. Oh. We do base our geographic coverage from the office that we're located in. Gotcha. So from Chicago, for example, we cover North America, Canada and the U.S. Um, and parts of Central America. So, But a girl can dream. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um. So this is a wide geographic landscape. What are some of the key differences that you found kind of country to country? I know you mentioned weather, um, you know, being sort of unpredictable, but maybe what are some things that are maybe more controllable or predictable that you've seen across geographies? It's really interesting. You know, I think it's easy to group countries together and assume that due to geographic proximity or shared languages that you'll see the same trends in those countries. Mm -hmm. But that's really a big mistake. Um, this is I commonly proven wrong. right. <laughs> I think this is commonly done, for example, even with the U.S. and Canada, or with groups of Latin American countries. And just because they're neighbors and there are similarities, and you can certainly find similarities, doesn't mean that all the trends are identical. You can look at things like um, hot drink consumption, mm -hmm. right? Neighboring countries can have vastly different consumption of coffee versus tea in terms of what's most popular. So we try not to generalize. And sure. again, that's why we do have that country focus for each of our projects. And again, why it's so important that we work with in-country analysts. Um, if we were conducting our research remotely, we could easily develop the warp perspective of what's going on in a particular country by reading the news, relying too much on secondary sources. We need that on-the-ground expertise to it's really... It's like when I meet people from Canada and I just say, oh, was your life Degrassi? I'm like, no, that's 
That's your weird warped perception in a ridiculous TV show that you were weirdly obsessed with growing up. So Canadian here. So yeah. Oh, Hello. well, then there you go. Was your high school like Degrassi? No. no. <laughs> so disappointing. <laughs> See, there we go. Warped perception. TV lied to me. Um, are these kind of differences in geography the biggest factor impacting industries or other trends and changes that we see in research? And if not, what are some of those things? Yeah. Geography certainly plays a role. It's very interesting to see how countries that are right next to each other differ, though that's also something you can observe within a country, mm -hmm. right? From one region to the next, even in the U.S., right? Um, one state to another, province to another, or even a city compared to the surrounding area. I hear you. I'm from North Carolina and get made fun of here when I say y'all or <laughs> reference, you know, sweet tea and biscuits and things that I, I don't see day to day in Chicago. So, But delicious things. Oh, so delicious. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's hard to narrow down the most important trends or changes that are going on, I think what's truly important is knowing that things are constantly changing, Okay, that we can't take anything for granted, and that humans are very creative. So there's constant innovation and change. And that's, again, what I think makes research so interesting. Well, I, again, you can't major in this in college, but I feel like being agile is something that you would really look for in a candidate then, because things things change all the time, as you've pointed out, and sometimes we can predict them, and sometimes we know when elections are scheduled, and then... Other times a hurricane hits. So Absolutely, right? Yeah. And it's all about creativity too, right? Being able to think through a problem, problem solve, but also in spaces where there's limited time, limited resources, how do you approach a problem? What I love that answer because people don't always think of research as creative. Yeah. I think it gets kind of a bad rap. You know, people think analytical or very straightforward, but mm -hmm. yeah, that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Thank you. Um, so before we wrap, I like to ask everyone, what is the weirdest thing that you've researched? So this is going to be the second reference to French fries yes, in this podcast. there's never too many French fry references. <laughs> French fries in Venezuela. Ooh. If you had told me when I was a student that I'd be quoted in newspapers around the world about French fries, I would not have believed you. But this is something that happened within weeks of starting at Euromonitor. That's so cool. Yeah. So what happened? McDonald's in Venezuela ran out of French fries. <gasps> and dun, dun, dun. Exactly. And the government tried to blame it on port closures in the U.S. This was a situation that was going on at the time. However, in reality, it had to do with the economic situation in Venezuela at that time and their inability to pay in dollars for French fries. Interesting. Mm -hmm. And then you were quoted, you said... Like in all these news outlets? Yeah. It was That's an AP awesome. story that was just picked up everywhere. What a great thing to be associated yeah. with. I feel like I'm quoting myself on my Instagram all the time, but that's not really a credible news source. So I like this way better. You're you're a legitimate source in the French fry world. Um, well, Alicia, thank you so much for joining us. Um, aside from our love of French fries, I feel like I got a better understanding of just what you and researchers in general do day to day. It's always sometimes I feel like being John Malkovich, like we're just going to get inside <laughs> your head and try to figure out how to be you for a day. I think I can safely say I'll stay on the marketing communication side of the fence, but it's fun to to play in your sandbox for a little bit. Well, we're happy to have you. And thanks so much for having me on the podcast. Well, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Behind the Data. We hope you're as curious as we are and will continue to listen as we dissect data, research, and everything in between. Thank you.